the godfather of tropical authors. The codfather. Who are you? The codfather. <laughs> the godfather. Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best-selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery, suspense, and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Welcome to the show, everyone. Glad to have you all with us today. How are you doing, Mr. Nick? I am peachy. What have you been up to? Launching a book. Launching a book? Wait, what book was it? With you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's been a busy week. <laughs> Don't be coy. So Missing in the Keys came out... Uh, Earlier this week, about, uh, let's see, probably about a week or so before this airs. So it's Out There, People, Missing in the Keys by Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt. Go get you some. It's a lot of fun. And it's done quite well. It's, it's for a first in series, it's doing really well. Popped up there in the charts. And on top of that, we also have another one that we've already announced. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to do it again. This wasn't too bad an experience. <laughs> it so wasn't said, horrible. You so sound said, like my wife it, all of a yeah, Exactly. <laughs> You've heard that a lot. Uh, it wasn't bad, though. Pretty much every woman I've ever dated, like, yeah, it's okay. We can do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All I right. suppose. But, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. So more than we wanted to know <laughs> about Doug. But, yeah, missing in Zanzibar. That's it's right. just cool to say. That's the only Zanzibar. reason it's in Zanzibar. It's cool to say. I was really convinced that was not a real place. I thought it was like some fantasy land. And then I looked it up and it really is. It's kind I've of been cool. there. Cheryl and I went there. Yeah. So you're, you're an international traveler because, you know, you're everywhere. Like Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> like Roy Kent. <laughs> like Roy Kent. <laughs> <That's> yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Everybody watch Ted Lasso. If you hadn't watched it yet, then. <laughs> yeah. I can't say the rest of the thing about, uh, about Roy Kent. But, uh, what am I doing? I'm writing Losing Summer, the next Nora Summer book, which is coming along uh, swimmingly. Really enjoying it. It's fun. And I'm taking my, the rest of my tech diving course, which is uh, labor intensive. <laughs> it's study intensive. You have to know a lot of things, apparently. What all does um, tech diving do include then? So it's to be able to go deeper and go into decompression, which means it puts a, uh, we talked about this with Joe Hyneth, actually, what it involves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know if you were trying to swim in hor- uh, horse. See, I was thinking about horses. Swim in well shit again. Shit in well shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with headphones on listening to brown noise while swimming in well shit. So, yeah, I was thinking, well, yeah. <laughs> a summary, that's about a summary of all our shows right there. <laughs> so tech diving. So it allows, it, I'll, I'll be able to go down deeper and on Trimex. I'm learning to dive on Trimex and uh, go into decompression, which puts a ceiling over your head, although there may not be a physical one, that uh, there's a physiological one where you have to decompress on the way back up in stages and uh, becomes a lot more important because you can't just uh, swim one up to the top if you have uh, problems. You've, you've got uh, commitments to decompression, otherwise you risk some serious stuff. You know how our or listeners would know more about this as if they read either one of our books where we talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I've got some uh, some tech diving, a lot of diving, obviously, in the A.J. Bailey series. But as she goes on some tech dives, uh, Queen of the Island Skies is a good one for that. There's some uh, tech diving stuff. And actually, I'm going to incorporate it in the next A.J. book, which is uh, called Lighthouse Point, which is going to be, uh, I'm going to take A.J. and uh, another character, Reg, one of the main characters, down here to Bonaire, where I've been living uh, with Cheryl for four months. Um, We go back in a few weeks back to the States. But it's going to be down here because this is a mecca of diving. And I'm going to incorporate a little bit of tech diving in there because it'll be be fun to, to incorporate all that stuff in there. So, yeah. So, got the tech diving course going on. And, uh, yeah, as I said, last few weeks in Bonaire, which is, uh, man, a little sad to leave the island. I was going to say, how does that feel? I mean, do you, do you miss being in the state at all? Let's be honest. <laughs> or not honest, depending on your point of view. <laughs> it's like being asked the question, what's your favorite place in the world? Well, uh, everywhere has something, right? Good and bad. So, there's going to be things that will be great to catch up on. We're going to be, it, honestly, this sounds crazy, but it's going to be great to get back to the RV and sleep in our own bed. So for, for almost six months now, we've slept in 
somebody else's bed, <laughs> you know, in, in rental places that we've been in. And it will be great. Uh, we have a super comfortable bed in the RV and, and we're both looking forward to getting back <laughs> in our own bed and having all our own stuff around us. I mean, because we've been you know, living out of other people's spaces for, for almost six months. So from that point of view, and um, we're going to get to see some family. When we go back, we go back into uh, Miami, then DFW, and that's the buses in Oklahoma with uh, Cheryl's family. It's going to be lovely to see them. And then we've got the convention in uh, St. Pete Beach, the NINC convention, which is an author convention. So um, that's going to be great to see a bunch of uh, the author gang there. And then we're going on down to the Keys. I've got my dive event at the end of September, the 29th yeah, and 30th. Yeah, going to be awesome. Um, which is going to be really cool. We've had a great sign up for it, a lot of enthusiasm. We've got some super sponsors for it. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Let's just pray the weather gods are with us. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about getting back and doing, doing a lot of those things, seeing, seeing some of the people. But man, it's hard to be living on an island like this. And uh, it, it's a beautiful place. And the, the weather's obviously fantastic. The diving's amazing. Where we've been staying, we just walk out, grab tanks jump in off the pier and it's one of the best coral reefs in the Caribbean right there. And it's, yeah, uh, it's pretty hard to beat in it. So we're, we're going to miss that. There's so many times after work, like, you know, Cheryl clocks out at like five and, and it's like, ah, hey, you want to go for a dive? Yeah, sure. Let's go for a dive. You just walk down and jump in, you know, it's, it's been brilliant. Uh, so. he's, he's like kidding folks. Every time we work together, like he'd be like, ah, we're right and missing in the keys. He's like, ah, I'll be back. I got to go dive. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I got to go I mean, to Kroger. So. <laughs> 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 Life is tough. For <laughs> Nick, there, so it's rough. So I don't know. I'm kind of hope. I'm glad you. I'm looking forward to seeing you again and uh, at Nink. I think we're gonna have a good time. So plus, yeah, I know we'll we're gonna get together and, and plot. do some plotting on Zanzibar. So Zanzibar, yeah, maybe uh, we're gonna chat with some more people about getting some wonderful guests on the uh, podcast moving forward. We may even record one from there. So uh, yeah, it's all gonna be good. Yeah. So what? Are you, what about you? What you been up to? Oh wow. So well, big news for me this last weekend, which isn't. I guess big. If you follow me on any of my social media, you probably know that my grandson just turned one. So that was kind of fun. We went and had a had a blast with him, young Atlas. That's a cool name. It's a really cool name. He's a pretty cool kid. Like that kid is so like chill, and he's got this voice. That he doesn't say a lot. He basically says "Hey," but he says it like that. He's going to be James L. Jones. He really has a, he has a deep voice. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, but we got to hang out with him and his sister Eden and we had a blast. But you know, other than that, like I said, missing the keys out, I'm, I'm writing away on Playa trying to get, uh, Los Playa de Los Muertos, which is the first in my Corsair series, which if you read Gator Alley is uh, a spinoff character there. Right now, I got that going. Do try to released little... a German translation. Yeah. I did. Yes, I did have a. Yeah, I've got all of my Chase Gordon books. I'm slowly getting into German. Um, it's one of the big things. So. You got summer uh, Nora Summer in, in German as well. So. I've got three of the four Nora Summer books. So if you sprechen the Deutsch, um, you can grab some of our books in the German market for our German listeners out there. Who... <laughs> Who are listening? <laughs> the hordes of German listeners. <laughs> there are like loads of them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been about it. You know, it's the end of the summer. So, kind of getting ready to move into the fall, which makes me want to go to the tropical islands. But, you know, yeah. that's what it is. So. All right. Let's hit, a, hit up a question. We got one from uh, Mark Wilson, who lives uh, somewhere in the world because I forgot to look up where Mark Wilson lives. But thank you, Mark, for sending where in this question. Where do you live, question. Mark? Yeah. <laughs> where in the world is Mark where Wilson? Where in the world is Mark Wilson? <laughs> What percentage of your readers prefer printed books versus ebooks versus audio books? That's a good question. What's your split? So I didn't know how much math we were going to have to do. So I did this really quickly. So it's not exact. So I kind of rounded up, but most of it, I would say the majority of my readers are definitely ebooks. Mostly a, a big portion of that goes into Kindle Unlimited. So I kind of looked at last year's numbers just to kind of see where I was at and about 68% are Kindle Unlimited, while 31% fall into ebooks, which leaves a whopping like 2%, which go into paperbacks. And my audio is even less than that. Now, my audio for 2022 is a lot less. I had fewer audio books out than I do now. So hopefully this year will be a little more than 1%. But um, we'll see where we are. Now, Nick has, he has like, he's got spreadsheets upon spreadsheets. So tell me your numbers, Nick. 
Well, probably has them up to date, like to today. Like he's looking right now going, oh, right now, as of this moment. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's different about my numbers is they add up to 100. Instead of 102%. I prefaced it. I was I literally, listen, listen he, I, I get here and he goes, well, here's the numbers. And I was like, you did math. I was just going to like ballpark it and say, well, most of my <laughs> listeners, most of my readers like ebooks. And he's got like percentages. And so I have to do the numbers really fast. But he, no, he pulls it up like right there. Because if you haven't, because I have a Nick, pie chart. He, he has a pie chart <laughs> on everything, on everything. <laughs> Doug's performance with his wife. I'm making a pie chart. <laughs> Venn diagrams about this. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Nick likes his numbers a lot. So. <laughs> I wish they were better. I track them. I, I wish they were higher numbers. So anyway, mine's 52% in KU, a little uh, lower than uh, what you have. 38% in ebook sales, 7% in audio, because I've been in audio longer than you have, and I have a few more audio books. So, and that's been growing, and it took over from uh, 3% print, uh, and the audio books surpassed print books, um, I think, at the beginning of this year. And this year, they've done uh, done better for me. So, but yeah, if you add up the Kindle Unlimited and the ebook sales, they are by far the bulk of what we do. I think that that's one of the things that you, you hear a lot of um, big publishers who talk about the ebook is dead, and I don't I don't believe that's the case at all. I think more more people are reading ebooks than anything else out there. No, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that you see a lot of these uh, what we call them traditional publishers, but the Simon and Schuster's and Random House, they're just outpricing their ebooks. In my opinion, I think you know why would you buy a, an ebook for the latest Jack Reacher at fifteen to sixteen dollars, and you can buy the paperback or the hardback brand new for 20 so yeah it should be a value value added and i think ebooks should be a value added thing so yeah and it's horses for courses right i mean we're not saying uh, everyone should be reading on ebooks by any means it's, it's no. lovely holding a book in your hand oh, and, yes. and um uh, and the only reason i used to have a library with full of books it was very sad when we get uh, got rid of our bricks and mortar and went in the rv but we had to transition into a kindle and that's what I read on exclusively now. But it's still it's lovely to hold a book in your hand and uh, and oh, smell that paper, right? You can't beat book. it. Yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. So it's good. I'm actually doing some uh, a custom run of dust jacket hardbacks for the dive event because the dive event is based around um, uh, Rex of Key Largo, oh, the AJ yeah. Bailey book. And so I'm doing a special edition uh, dust jacket hardbacks uh, for everyone that's coming to the event. So uh, that, that's going to be fun to do. I plan to when I release uh, La Playa. De los Muertos to put it in hardback as well with dust, dust jacket. So I'm cool. going to do it kind of fancy like so I can be almost like a real writer like Nick. So. <laughs> <laughs> or really, we're almost like a real writer like our guest today. So. Uh, yeah, I got a guest coming up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I don't know, Nick, You, I feel like you seem a little upset about a few things. So I'm kind of curious, like, dude, what steams your clams? You know what really steams my clams? What twists my knickers? What gets my goat? What really takes the jam out of my donut? (laughs) Well, you know what really steams my clams? What really steams your clams there? I guess this is more, well, yeah, it's pretty much a guy thing, not a girl thing, because... Girls, you don't have urinals in your bathrooms. But when we go into the bathroom, like sure? an airport or a state, I'm pretty sure I've walked into a couple of accidentally sometimes and I've never seen a urinal. The, um, <laughs> they have couches. They have fancy couches and like <laughs> plants. But we have urinals and you stand in front of it and it's target practice and you try and hit the urinal, right? And uh, you, do, you do your best and, and you should be able to hit it. And some people spit their gum <laughs> Or chewing tobacco, I've seen in there too, into the urinal. And there's that little catch in it in there, right? So they spit that in there. People, some other human being has to come along and pick that back out again. It drives me nuts when when you go into like the airport and stuff and there's gum in there. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> How mean you got to be that you're making some other human being? And it's you give the guy at the door a buck. No, that doesn't cover it. 
How much do you need to get paid to dip your hand in someone else's pee and pull out their chewing gum? Let me share with you that one time in the past life, I actually was a janitor, and that was that was my job to do that, oh. clean those bathrooms and stuff. Yeah, it was it was pretty nasty. So that was at a church. It was at a church. It was really yeah. That was kind of I don't know. That's pretty gross. It is pretty gross. So stop doing that, people. Don't spit your gum into the urinal. And the, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I hear from my, my wife has said before the ladies' bathrooms are not cleaned. <laughs> you, you, you expect them to be nice and cleanly. And- when I was cleaning the toilets at this church, you know, it's a church here in town, the women's restroom was always more disgusting than the men's, which I found bizarre. But apparently, that is. I think it's because they don't like to sit. So they just like hover. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's it's in our book, missing in the keys, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I ha- I had to put it in there so that I've held that story forever and a day. I had this. I've got to tell you this. So I had a friend. His name's uh, Henry. He was dating this girl. Her name was Denise. She was English. She was American. I worked with Henry over in the UK, and then I moved. We both moved back to the US, or I moved to the US. He came back to the US, and Denise was over in England. She fly back and forth. Denise was uh, a lovely lovely girl she was she was hilarious but that was the first time i heard the, the term hover she got oh i'm going for a hover i'm like what <laughs> she's i'm going to the loo she's like, okay what do you mean she's like we're gonna hover you have to hover over it you can't let your bum touch the seat <laughs> and this is i'm like well don't they have those what do you call them the butt gaskets they call them in america that piece of paper that they use the paper that you put on it yeah. Yeah. nothing nothing to your butt. safer than a piece of paper to keep you from <laughs> it was like greaseproof paper that you put down and it was stuck your ass so you had to be careful not to have it still stuck to you when you pulled your trousers up i always wonder like the fact is like when i saw how how it was i was like where did they hover from because some of them looked like they were hovering from three feet away so (laughs) (laughs) i mean and trust me men are the worst about that i remember there was a kid that went and went in elementary school with me and and he was he would just stand at the urinal and do a 360 because i mean we were second or third grade and and boys (laughs) If you didn't know, are stupid and disgusting. So, <laughs> revolting creatures. We are yeah. revolting. How how on earth women ever agree to get naked with us is beyond me. So. <laughs> well, I don't think you're inviting too many, enthusing too many with your, <laughs> your self-rating. <laughs> well, I only get the one oh in the As long as she doesn't listen, then we're okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two chances they're going to listen to this show. All right. Let's move on to our guest because we have a great guest this week. And you guys were all expecting Kirsten Modlin, but she'll be on the next show. We had to switch it up a little bit because we had technical difficulties here on the remote island of Memphis, Tennessee. You would think the guy living in Bonaire, <laughs> stuck out in the middle of nowhere, would have the technical difficulties. But no, it's Douglas Pratt that had internet failure. Thankfully, so, Kirsten was very, very gracious. And yes, great okay. sport over it. So she'll be on the next show. But we switched. Uh, next one was going to be, after her, was going to be Wayne, uh, Wayne Stinnett, the wonderful, uh, what I call the godfather of the Tropical Authors Gang. And... Um, he jumped in and, and took over. So our guest this week is the marvelous Wayne Stinnett. And welcoming to the show, Mr. Wayne Stinnett. Thanks for being here, Wayne. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on here with you guys. Hey, welcome, sir. I've nicknamed you the godfather of tropical authors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think somebody had that title long before me. The great John Dean. <laughs> well, sure, but it, the uh, but he didn't uh, put together a group called uh, Tropical Authors, which you and uh, Nick Sullivan uh, are the originators of, right? So, and it's been uh, been great for all of us. Which I'd like to uh, embarrass you a little bit and say thank you so much for all the help you've given me and and a lot of others in this genre. This guy who was selling loads of books that was at the top of Sea Adventures actually answered an email I sent when I had like two books out there and was a nobody and was doing my own covers, which was a mess. And uh, then he said, come by and see me. I'm in South Carolina when you drive by on your bus and uh, had lunch with me. And I tell you, I never forget it. You, uh, I'd learned so much in a two-hour lunch and, and you helped me a ton. So thank you for all you, you do. That was a really fun day. That was, that was, that was really cool. Yeah. And we followed up with some diving a couple of years later. That was even more fun. Yeah, I thought I had the right right weight in my, in my belt. <laughs> <laughs> you were fine on the wreck. <laughs> yeah, once I had something to grab hold of. <laughs> Are you a floater, Wayne? 
<laughs> it was that I guy a little I bit. haven't scuba dived in so long, but I've done a lot of snorkeling. And I normally wear a six-pound weight when I'm snorkeling and free diving. And for scuba diving, it's 10 pounds. Well, I strapped on six pounds, and I thought I was good to go. <laughs> she was inverted, <laughs> kicking like all hell, trying to get down to the wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's brutal too, because I, I have a tendency to float. If I don't put enough weight on, I'm, I'm. It's it's a fight to get down to the <laughs> to the bottom there. So, so speaking of diving, let's. Uh, I think a lot of people know that uh, you came from uh, your blue collar to no collar. Is this fantastic book that you wrote about going from your, your truck driving background to writing some books and then uh, and switching over to this successful career you've had. And, um, but before that you grew up in Florida and you did some diving. Did you not tell us about that? Yeah, I grew up on the East coast of Florida in Melbourne when I got out. Well, even before I got out of the Marine Corps, I started scuba diving oh, in 1975, 76, somewhere around there while I was in high school. And, uh, I enjoyed the sport. And so I, after I got certified, I decided, well, there's gotta be more to learn. So I took an advanced course, and then after I finished that, a rescue course, and then a dive master course, and a photography, underwater hunter, all these different specialty courses, and I just like to learn. You know, that's the way I am. When I find something that I feel passionate about, I dive into it, literally. I ended up, uh, I've got a master scuba diver certification with six uh, specialty courses. I was able to use that and travel around the Caribbean for a little while as a young man, and uh, Proved to be great fodder for fiction later on. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked, yes. worked dive boats? Yeah. Yeah, I worked in Cozumel and uh, worked in the Keys for a while there in, in Palm Beach. Went Did a lot of dive mastering in Palm Beach. It was a two-hour commute to get to the boat. But <laughs> oh, Palm Beach is some great, great diving, but it's tricky. There's a lot of current there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's drift diving. It's, it's a totally different story. You're not anchored on anything. You just... You drift along and the boat follows the bubbles. There, there have been a few close encounters, some, some really uh, uh, butt clinchers, we'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> some parrotfish moments. <laughs> a, 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 a stream coming out. Let's make yeah. a little bit more so, sand. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's like a squid. <laughs> yeah. In the 70s and 80s, it's not the earliest days of scuba diving, but it's certainly the earliest, earlier days of the general public scuba diving. Yeah. I think scuba diving started becoming popular in, in the 60s with Jacques Cousteau and Sea Hunt and the TV shows and all that. By the 70s, it became a little bit more mainstream. Uh, the average person could learn how to scuba dive and it didn't cost a whole lot, maybe $800, $1,000 to get into the sport. And of course, that equipment's going to last you for, I still got the original equipment I, I bought 40 years ago. So, like the for, old horseshoe uh, BC? Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have that. Mine was a, it was a, it was a nice BC for the time, but it's nothing compared to what they have now. Yeah, I think the transition was uh, around 76 or so was when they really went over to, they did the first jacket style BCD, which uh, is really what made it more accessible to the uh, to everyone. And the switch from steel tanks to aluminum, that just made it easier for other people to get into the sport. And then the aluminum 40s, or smaller tanks, the aluminum 80s versus the steel 100s. I mean, it only weighed 20 pounds a small woman could get into the water and out of the water with no problem. So it became a lot more popular as the technology improved to allow more people to get into it. What made you stop roaming around? And I think the next thing you did was join the Marines, right? Well, I, when I joined the Marine Corps, I was an advanced scuba diver. And uh, throughout the Marine Corps, I, I did maybe t 10 or 20 dives during the whole four years I was in. And then when I got out is when I really started to, to learn a friend of mine owned a dive shop right there in Melbourne, and uh, I just I, I'd go there to just hang out, and I'd take courses whenever I had the money available. Uh, that just meant you know I pay a little bit extra to learn what I'm about to do before we go on the dive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And back then, anything goes. I mean, we were just experimenting with nitrox at the time, and uh, yeah, he had a nitrox uh, nitrox mixer. And so we were experimenting with that. And it, it was just a totally different environment than it is today. Today, I mean, anybody can jump in. But back then, you had to be a little bit of a he-man. <laughs> 
<laughs> some of the stories from the 70s, I've got some uh, uh, friends and beta readers that uh, one guy's got these stories of like 300 feet on air where you're getting down to where the oxygen in air is getting toxic, leave alone the narcosis. I mean, narcosis is getting pretty big time at 150 and they really strongly recommend Trimix after 180. So that getting down over 200 feet on air is just nuts. It's, it's, uh, at the point of you really have a screw loose because yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're tempting death at that point. And nitrogen narcosis, I mean, when you succumb to it, you just don't care and you just go deeper and you die. There were a, a, quite a few deaths during that time, but things have gotten a lot better. The, the dive tables have gotten a lot more conservative. It used to be we used the Navy SEALs dive tables. These guys were athletes, man. <laughs> And you take the average Joe and put and try to do those kind of dives, and it's just, it's just too dangerous. Yeah, I'm just trying doing my tech course, and uh, so I, part of it is is going back through and learning all about the Navy tables and and the development from the Navy tables through uh, Buellman's uh, algorithm and and beyond. And it's it's fascinating, and the stuff they what they don't know now is terrifying. What they didn't know back then <laughs> is just it's, well, it's, it's, you know, the only way you can so sometimes you gotta just do it <laughs> and die. <laughs> yeah, it's like Bob didn't come back up, so I guess we shouldn't do whatever he did. But we don't know what he did because he didn't come back up to tell us what he did. <laughs> Maybe he wrote it on a slate, and if we find his body, then we'll know. It was <laughs> <laughs> just just frightened. <laughs> It's really safe now. Don't worry about yes, it. Yes, it's yeah. extremely <laughs> safe now. I mean, the, the technology has moved up to the point. And now, now you've got full face masks where you can talk underwater and communicate with your partner. And it's just incredible. What was your career like? Can you tell us a little bit in the Marines what all you did? Because that influenced a lot of what you write. I was a truck driver in the Marine Corps. I'm, I'm nothing like my main character. My main character was all high speed, low drag, force recon. I was just a truck driver. And just a truck driver. Yeah, I, 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 hauled, I hauled ammo for an artillery battery. <laughs> and did they, it, it, was it in the Marines you got your truck driving license? Well, uh, Marine Corps experience or military experience, even if you spend 20 years in motor transport in the service, you still have to go to truck driving school when you get out. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could have taught the class, but I still had to go to truck driving school an accredited school before anybody would hire you. And then you got to go out for six weeks with a trainer who probably has a year and a half experience. <laughs> I could tell you a lot of stories right there too. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. So were you writing uh, or thinking about writing when you were trucking around the uh, Caribbean diving and then during the time in the Marine Corps? Uh, pretty much all my life. Ever since I was a little kid, a lot of my childhood friends can attest to this, but I used to carry those little college bound notebooks, the little ones, you know, just six inches by four inches or something like that and a pencil. And I carried that everywhere I went and I'd see something and I'd write it down. I'd hear something, I'd write it down. I'd draw sketches all through my childhood that, that rolled over into the Marine Corps and later in life. And I still do it today. Anything I see or hear, or feel, or touch, or sense, it's all fodder for fiction now. I mean, <laughs> don't want it, if you don't <laughs> if you don't want it in print, don't say it in front of me. <laughs> That's so that true, is fair. isn't it? Yes, absolutely. How many times do you walk away from uh, like a coffee shop or something and, and go, "Oh, I got to write that down. I got to write that down." <laughs> <laughs> There's a conversation right there. Yeah, I've got. Unfortunately, I've yeah. got a notepad and a pencil in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was out on the so dock. Were you- this about three years, four years ago. I was out on the dock after work. My office was above the marina. We were standing there talking, drinking beers with a couple of liveaboards. And then this couple came walking towards us. And one of the women broke away and ran towards him. Oh, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in so long. I didn't see your boat come in. And the woman of the couple said, well, we, we got a new boat. We're no longer sailors. We have a trawler. The woman who was there with me, she's she's like, oh, you're a transvesselite. Oh, no way. <laughs> I'm writing that shit down right now. <laughs> <laughs> that went into the next book. <laughs> That's gold. That's perfect. Yeah. 
Wow. That's, yeah, there's there's lots of t- stuff on the marina that you can hear and, and talk. And Me and my brother used to call stuff. it Dockside Follies. We'd, we'd have nothing else to do. We'd drive down to the causeway and park by the, the boat ramp, and drink a six-pack of beer, and watch the watch the funnies. You'd be amazed at some of the stupid stuff people do at boat boat ramps. <laughs> well, now nowadays you can you just go on uh, YouTube and you can see it all because everyone has a phone and everyone films it. That's the trouble now. Everything you do that was just like stupid when you were a kid <laughs> that nobody saw and you went, "I'm so glad no one saw that." Everyone sees it, it now. So it, it, nobody yeah. recorded it, so it doesn't exist. I think the worst part about having a boat too is that eventually you are that guy because sometimes it happens, you, you know, you get the, a crosswind and, that comes in and, and blows you off course or something like it, trying to dock it. And it's always like, ah, that's when people stand in there. Like if nobody's there, I could, I could slide into that dock every time with that sailboat. <laughs> but you know, the minute you have like a handful of people, that's when the wind kicks up and you're blown into the side. You're like, ah, dang it. <laughs> As Eric Stone says, if you ain't been aground, you ain't been around. <laughs> that's right yeah if, yeah if you're a sailor and haven't you know run across the sandbar then, then you haven't been sailing very long so. yeah it happens so you started young you were making notes you were writing were you putting them together in short stories how did that evolve from taking notes and watching stuff and jotting stuff down into writing that first book? i still have a whole lot of those notebooks and i look back through them and sloppy handwriting though it was for you know third fourth grade but it was all just observations, things. It was just observations of what I was seeing, what I was encountering and just the fantasies of a, you know, a young kid. And then later uh, after the Marine Corps, these started coalescing into some short stories. And the main character was a guy I made up named Jesse McDermott. Throughout the 80s and uh, the early 90s, I wrote these short stories on the, on the work computer at just to kill time after I finished with everything else I was supposed to do. Ended up saving all of them. They eventually became the first novel. That was uh, 10 years ago, and I haven't looked back since. (laughs) And how many Jesse books do you have right now? I'm writing the 27th right now. Well, actually, technically it's the 28th because I just finished the first young Jesse book. So as you think about that, like 27, man, that 28 books, that's, I'm just pushing 11 right now on Chase, but. Do you have a thought as to where you want Jesse to go? What's the future look like for him? Or is he going to be like the next James Bond where you can just find a way to carry him on? I've really been struggling with that lately because I really hurried to bring Jesse to the current time because I wanted to share characters with other writers. And they all wrote in the present. So, you know, if you move somebody from this time to this time, they grow older. Well, Jesse McDermott is 61 years old now. Is there an age limit for action heroes? I don't know. Indiana Jones says no, so I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And it's fiction, right? So you can just stop him there at 61 and you can... Yeah, Dirk... How, how, old, how old was Dirk Pitt when Clive Cussler died? I mean... Oh, he had to been in the 60s. Yeah, but I, I, I think in, in the book, he's only... You know, I think Clive even referred to him back in the um, 90s that, you know, he, he'd aged while Dirk had stayed the same. I wanted to make Jesse my age so that I could relate my experiences through his voice. And I didn't think of it at the time, but I should have started earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why I'm going back and doing the young Jesse series. I didn't think I'd be able to write from, from the point of view of a a 17 year old, 20 year old man. Turns out I did pretty good. I think. Well, you've got a better chance of remembering what it was like at 17 than you do what it's like being a 30-year-old female because you write the Charity Style series, which is which I love. It's, it's a great series. That is really, really challenging. I mean, you know. I mean, you, you write two series from a female point of view, much younger female points of view. That's challenging. To that end, I, I got a co-writer for my, for my charity series, and Kim's come along really well with how she portrays charity. Yeah, talk about that a little bit, Wayne, because you wrote the first few. You wrote with Kimberly a book, and then you went back to writing it yourself And while Kimberly was on sort of a hiatus, and now you're working together again. So that's got to be quite an evolution. Yeah, the first four I wrote, and then on the fifth one, she came in, and I asked her if she would write the entire book, and then I would go through and just, you know, make changes as necessary. In exchange, she would get half the half the royalties, and it, that worked out really good. I, I told her, I said, I want charity to be less 
masculine than I made her. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. she made her a lot more feminine. And uh, a lot of my readers thought it was a little bit overboard, but I think it had to go overboard before she could become the character she has now. She had to have a, a crossing point where she went from the absolute killer to a human being and then be able to transition back and forth between those two. I think we pulled it off really good. So the book in between had to be really challenging. So you've got Kimberly, who's kind of set the tone. So you've now taken it back and you've got to take Kimberly's version of charity now and continue it. And if that was, that was extremely hard. She had an emergency in life and uh, they needed some time. So for a couple of years, she didn't write anything. But she's back at it now, and uh, she's back to writing her own series. And we just finished uh, Liable Charity, launched that last month. Which is doing incredibly well. It's doing very well. She writes it. You go back and, like, rewrite it and go through it. And is that how your process on, is? On Liable Charity, we did it totally different than we did with Vigilant Charity. That was the first one we did together. With the second one, I had already written probably the first uh, 20,000 words before I Checked, checked on. I was checking on her every month, see if she's ready to jump back in. Oh yeah, yeah, let's do it. So I said, okay, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> Make this part a little softer, and then I'll go ahead and write the next part. And then we, and then we went through, and she wrote about probably half of it, at least half of it. And then we just switched back and forth from chapter to chapter, and she, it, it came out really, really good with each of us revamping each other's work. As if we were one writer, because that's what I'll, that's what I'm looking for when I do a collaboration like that. Is we want a separate voice. Libel Charity turned out just like that. You can't tell which one of us wrote it because it's not in either of our styles. I think the Tropical Authors collaborations have been uh, a great learning curve. All three of us have, have done some of those, and uh, I know for Doug and I, just writing Missing in the Keys, which is the new series we're doing together that just launched, we were going back and forth like that, chapter to chapter. And different, it's third person, but POV from my character, then his character as we went. You also challenge each other, right? You read what the co-writer wrote and you're like, shit, that's good. <laughs> now I've got to follow that, that. How, how, I got to do better than that, yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to over-escalate it, actually, because Doug's <laughs> like the action king, right? So he's got shit going on everywhere. And it's like, well, I, she's supposed to be thinking about this and going from here to here and sorting this out. But I wanted to like, do something. <laughs> well, in, in our first collaboration in Graceless, you know, it was just all building. When each character was introduced, it got wilder and wilder until finally Je Jesse opens up with a damn minigun. <laughs> and a, and John, or, uh, Buck crashes his plane in Marathon. So it just got crazier and crazier. But then in Timeless, we did what, what you're talking about, more overlay more of us writing together rather than four separate chunks. That came out really, really smooth. Yeah, even with some flashbacks in there and, and bits and pieces, it was, uh, that was a lot of fun, yeah. It was a lot harder because they were all in the same location. We didn't think about that when we started it. We were accumulating characters. There's a lot <laughs> of characters with all these in one people. place. <laughs> How many did we have right there at the end? About eight or nine? Yeah, they're somewhere around there. I remember talking about it about a third of the way and like, hey, uh, we need to kind of knock out some characters. I know with, with Sullivan's characters, we're like, you're going to need to leave Boone over on Little Cayman when they come to Graham. We've got too many people. <laughs> yeah, we just left him over on another island. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly. we, need a, we need a tropical authors collab with like 12 of us all at once, just with gigantic book that we can do. <laughs> that's a great idea, Doug. That wouldn't be a train wreck, would it? <laughs> Everyone trying to outdo the next just, one. Nobody can see Nick's face, but his eyes just went, what? <laughs> Twelve of us all trying to outdo the other one. We'd have aliens landing. It would it would start out as a sea adventure and end up as some fantasy freaking <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be sci-fi thing. Hey, actually, I would love to write sci-fi. I mean, you can just, I would too. just make stuff up. And it's not that big a difference from, you know, Sea adventures is just you take everything off the ocean and put it in space. Yeah, you, you want to blow up half a planet? You can do that. You have to have a special machine that can do it. Boom, you just create it. And you can make that up. It's, it's easy. It's just, oh, how, how do you get across a wormhole generator? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just make it up. Yeah, we can do that now. 
We can fix people. Yeah, he was dead, but we can fix him. But if you dare fire the wrong caliber rifle in the Sea Adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, my favorite, my absolute favorite is is how many times, and I know you said this before, Wayne, how many times do you get clipped for uh, using road as a term (laughs) when you're with your anchor? Yeah, that's that's the classic one. I I finally took, I I wrote to Amazon because that's where it all comes from. I wrote to my rep at Amazon. I said, look, I'm getting sick and tired of all this, all these people correcting road. I don't care if it's a, it's a rope or a line or a chain or a cable or silly string. It's a road. You ride on anchor on the anchor road. And I haven't got one since then. I haven't had one in a while. I haven't had one in a while, so maybe they did fix it. Maybe you did a good job. So, and so for our listeners, that's what a road a road is the basically the line, the rope, whatever. Like like Wayne said, that goes from the anchor to the boat. So, well, the frustrating part is if you're reading it on a Kindle and you just put your finger on the word road, it will show you the definition, and you scroll down the <laughs> nautical definition, and right there it says whatever it is connecting the anchor to the boat. <laughs> but still someone's going to write into Amazon and go, I found a mistake in his book. So uh, let's move on and talk about something a little bit different, which is um, fascinating, which sounds uh, rude of me to say that, but it's amazing to me. So Wayne, talk us through the challenges you've had with your eyesight that has been uh, ongoing. Well, I was uh, diagnosed with glaucoma several years ago. And by that time it advanced to the point where I lost quite a bit of the peripheral vision in my right eye and underwent surgery to correct the pressure. That's all they can do is get the eye pressure down so you don't lose any more. And so the first surgery went really well. It, uh, the pressure in my right eye has been right around 12 or 13 for five years now, uh, where it had been in the 20s. Then we decided to do a newer surgery in the left eye, which was my good eye. And it's no longer my good eye. After, oh my after four surgeries to correct the problems, it's gotten worse. And there's a uh, glaucoma. You, you have, you lose little spots of your peripheral vision. And those spots may join together into big blind spots. And in one eye, I have a big blind spot above the horizon. Another one, the other eye, it's below the horizon. So I was seen okay, but it was all two dimensional. And, Parts of the puzzle were missing at the same time. And then the left eye got gradually worse and worse. And the muscles that hold the left eye and focus the left eye became so weak that it wouldn't focus. And I've been prescribed these prism glasses that are absolutely amazing. I, where for the last year and a half, two years, I've been seeing double. One image stacked on top of the other because the left eye had no direct vision for it to focus on. Your eyes focus by turning inward towards whatever you're looking at. And because the left eye couldn't see anything, it was, wasn't was sending a signal to the brain where to make it move. So it would just drift off and chase that blind, chase that little peripheral vision that it could see. And uh, finally, with these prism glasses, it brings the two images together. Even though the left image is only a partial above the horizon peripheral vision. It brings it in line with the right eye, so I can see it a lot better. Nighttime is really hard. I can't see at night at all. Uh, Doing simple tasks with your hands, building things, I don't dare hammer a nail because I would. (laughs) No, I've got an electric hammer for that one. It's what you like to kid hold it for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hold the nail, kid. It's not the holding part. It's it's the getting getting the the head of the hammer in contact with the nail and you see two of them. That's why you have the kid hold it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so reading, I mean, obviously reading was challenging and that must be a lot better now with these glasses. Yeah. The prescription's not finished yet. Right now we're just doing a test. The, uh, the actual prism lens that is on my left lens of my glasses is actually a, like a decal. It peels off and sticks on. Once they have just exactly the right prism adjustment, then they'll grind it into the glasses. And right now it's just on one pair of glasses. I'll be able to utilize that same prescription for my sunglasses, for my computer glasses, for my reading glasses. And right now I can't read because I just can't focus on anything. 
How do you type, Wayne? Yeah, that's my question is how do you type and write? That's You write a lot of books for not being able to see. <laughs> Believe it or not, I wear a pirate's eye patch. Yeah, I was I was wondering if that's what I you do. So you cover the, the bad eye, eye. And that way my brain isn't distracted by that peripheral vision. I don't see anything above the line that I'm reading, but I see a little bit below it. So it makes it easier to easier to read, but still it's after 20 or 30 minutes of reading, eye strain becomes a problem. I was going to say that's got to be. So when you're writing, have you have you changed? You must have adapted the way you write now. Do you do it in shorter burst sessions? Because you're an early riser, I know that, and you get going really early normally. Well, I, I start early in the morning, yeah, and uh, everything on my computer is in dark mode. So my manuscript, it's all black screen, white text, which makes it a lot easier to see. Glau- glaucoma patients have trouble with bright lights, so... I'm sitting basically in the dark room all the time, and that makes it easier to work. And uh, I write in 14-point font at 175% magnification, which keeps everything on the screen, but as big as I can make it. About I see about 10 lines on the screen when I'm writing. But uh, reading, that's a little bit, a little bit different because you can only enlarge the screen so much. So have you become a fan of audiobooks yet? <laughs> I've listened to a couple of audiobooks now, and I really enjoyed it. But the trouble is, I don't have, when do you listen to an audiobook? During your commute to work. I live a mile from my office. It takes me two minutes to get here in the morning, two minutes to get home. So an audiobook's going to take me about six weeks to listen to. <laughs> well, what about working out? You've got a home gym now. You've been on this crazy workout program uh, up until you felt it. That's that's what I've been doing. I, I've been uh, listening to audiobooks while I work out. That's really fun. I start my workout listening to the audiobooks, and then when I get to the get up to the heavy weights, I switch over to some motivational music. What, what kind of motivational music do you have? Uh, believe it or not, uh, hip hop. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't exactly say hip hop. It's kind of uh, outlaw country hip hop. Okay. <laughs> It's okay. So like uh, like Post Malone or uh, <laughs> okay, New Breed, Jesse Howard, Ya Boy Dirty, Hitman, uh, just anything from these guys who grew up in the same same kind of atmosphere that I did. Poor, and uh, they live to tell about it. There's some great stories in those songs. All right, what's next in uh, in Wayne's world? Wayne's world. <laughs> you can't say Wayne's World. I accidentally said Wayne's World. Now we've all got to say Wayne's World. Wayne's World, Wayne's World. <laughs> Excellent. Right now I'm recovering from uh, Achilles surgery. Tore an Achilles tendon a couple of months, well, a month ago. And uh, had to have surgery on that. And that kind of delayed my uh, powerlifting hobby. And so I had to cancel the, the state championships in November. And I'm looking forward to the uh, meet in March where I'm going to break every record I set last March by at least 20%. I just started a brand new book. I'm working with Stuart Matthews on another Jerry and DJ book. I've got two books coming out, the new, the first Young Jesse book and the 27th Old Jesse book, I guess. Those are both coming out on October 30th and 31st. And this new one that I'm writing now will be out uh, February 26th. And I've got two more planned for next year. And maybe another charity book. Depends on how Kim feels. She's really hard at work with her poppy books now. Well, I hope you guys do another charity book because I love that series. It's a lot of fun. And Charity's boat is my old boat from back in the 80s. It's a 1938 Alden Design Cutter Rig uh, Sloop. And slow as a pig by today's standards. But <laughs> in its day, it was, a, it was a you know regatta winner everywhere it went. It's just fun to be able to incorporate that because I knew that boat so well. I knew every single inch, every wooden beam and plank. Just to be able to write about that particular boat was a lot of fun. Well, we look forward to it all. And thanks again for coming on and joining us, Wayne. And thanks for everything you've done for everyone in Tropical Authors. And uh, good luck with uh, all the recoveries from the uh, uh, from your injury and with your eyes. And uh, we look forward to lots more from you in the future. Don't run us off just yet. We have one more question for him. Yeah, you got that spinning, oh, you got that spinning wheel. I know. You, you he knows. For, I know. I I'm, forgot. I, he forgets because he doesn't have to haul the thing around everywhere. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give us a twirl. All right. Our question is, your 
current favorite song? Current favorite song. I would say that would have to be from Jesse Rice's uh, new album, Pirate Sessions 5. It's the first song, first song on the on the album, and I'm trying to say a lot of words while I think of the name of the song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can send it to us, and we'll put it in the show notes. How's that? It's about a jeep. Can't be bad if it's about a jeep. But that that whole album I, that that's one of my go to playlists when I'm working out. Jesse Rice is real. I mean, I like Jesse Rice. Oh, he's going to be in my next book. Is he? Yeah. Yeah, I contacted him. I said, hey, would you like to play a gig at a fictional restaurant? And he said, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Very cool. Well, I sent him a note and asked him if he wanted to be on our show, and he didn't respond. So you get you know. the, only the women respond to you. When he writes to when he writes to the female authors, they all write him back. They ignore me. Every one of them. <laughs> they all Every like, single. <laughs> if he had that, you know, that author picture of, of Nick where he's got that flowing hair, I think if he had that still, though, they'd be calling him all the time. But you know, <laughs> your audience can't see us, but Doug and I are both billiard balls. <laughs> compared to the hair loop in the middle <laughs> well i've already said that's that's enough i've already said thank you so we're just going to go now <laughs> thanks thank again you, wayne, wayne for being on really appreciate it mate y'all have a great day you too cheers thanks for listening everyone that was a great show uh big thanks to wayne for joining with us today the godfather of tropical authors the Codfather. Who are you? The Codfather. <laughs> the Codfather. I just pictured a fish down someone's pants. <laughs> On that note, subscribe to the show. Give us a five star review. Why you would give us a five star review, I have no clue. But please. Why are do. you listening at this point? Yeah, I know. Well, why haven't you given up on us? Fish in his pants. Like our last listener just went, What the hell is wrong with them? And that was my mother. She's even <laughs> yes. given up. All right, check out the show notes for links to our books, social media, and anything we mentioned during the show. So all Wayne's, uh, his website, and uh, to his uh, book, Blue Collar to No Collar, um, if you want to check that out. And you can also support the show by buying or gifting our books. Yes, please do, especially Missing in the Keys, which is out now. So Yeah. And our next show will is delayed because inter- <laughs> apparently Memphis has third <laughs> world country third internet, world internet here. So we were we unfortunately did not have uh, Kirsten Moglin on with us, um, and so we she was kind enough to move us till next time. So she should be joining us then. Cool. Until then, be cool to each other. Fair winds and following seas. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt.